also the idea of mess it up is that we're asking God to do a work in our heart that changes us. We, we want us to uh, sort of, we want God really to, in a sense, mess us up, rearrange us, change us, all the things that he wants to do, not just because like he looks at your life and he thinks like, man, you're a wreck and I just, you're messed up and I just need to just mess it up different. Like, that's not the idea. The reason we talk about this idea and the reason we're experiencing these things is we believe that God has the best life for us. And that we can encounter the fullness of life, as Jesus would say, or abundant life as we allow God to do in us what he wants to do. How many of you know we are really good at messing things up? Like, we are great at, like, like plans are like, man, this plan seems perfect. And then we show up and we're like, it's ruined. Like, it's like, everything's great, things are going awesome, and then we show up, and it's like, ugh. I, we, and so what we're asking God to do is do what he does. And what God does is he can transform even, even the worst things and make them great, <laughs> make them perfect, make them as he designed them to be. So tonight, in part one uh, of this series, we're going to be in the book of Ezekiel book of Ezekiel. Now, if you've been with us in our teenager series, we've been in Daniel. The book of Ezekiel is right before Daniel. So if you get to Daniel, you've gone too far. So go back a couple of pages. We're going to be Ezekiel chapter 36. Now, a little bit of context before we jump into Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel is a contemporary with Daniel, meaning he lived at the same time as Daniel. Now, when Babylon, remember Babylon from the series in Teenager? You guys remember Babylon? They were like the superpower, and they came into Israel. They conquered Israel, and then they took Daniel, our friend, to, into captivity to work in the palace for King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. So he showed up. They, they conquered Israel. Daniel goes with Neb to Babylon. But then there was a second group of people that were left in Jerusalem. Now, a, a character by the name of Jeremiah, he's got a book named after him. He wrote it, and he was uh, somebody that stayed in Jerusalem after Babylon conquered them, and he ministered to the people that were left behind in Jerusalem. So we got a group of people that go with Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon. We've got a group of people that are left behind with Jeremiah in Jerusalem. And then there's a third group of people that are taken into exile. Basically, they're, they're placed into prison camps all over. And, and this groups, these groups of people that were dispersed, because when, when Babylon came and they just dispersed, they're like, we got to get out of here because we don't want to go to Babylon. Jerusalem's in ruin, and they're just spread out all over the place. Ezekiel ministered to the people that were in exile. This doesn't work totally, but it just popped in my head, and it kind of works. Jeremiah was in Jerusalem, Ezekiel was in exile, and then Daniel was in Babylon. <laughs> so it kind of works, but it'll help you remember hopefully a little bit. So Ezekiel is ministering to the people in exile, and he's writing both in the sense of what has happened, but then he's also writing in the sense of what will happen. Tyler's message, if you want to write, write it down, picking up the pieces, picking up the pieces as we kick off Mess, mess it up, part one. Ezekiel 36, we're going to begin in verse 24. Ezekiel 36, verse 24. I'm going to go pretty quick, and then we're going to worship again. Does that sound good? Yeah. You guys excited to worship? Yeah. The worship team was sounding good tonight. It's, I think it's only going to get better. All right, Ezekiel 36, um, beginning in verse 24. 
This is God speaking. Ezekiel's writing, God is speaking. It says this, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries, and ready for this, bring you back into your own land. Remember, they're in exile. They're dispersed all across the world. Bring you back into your own land. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your, all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you again for your word, and we ask that you would speak to us tonight in it. And as we talk about this idea of picking up pieces, Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself, your heart in this matter. And God, the areas of our life that you need to mess up because we've done a good job at messing it up, you need to, you need to sort of rebuild and reconstruct. We pray that you would do that. Lord, the walls that we've put up in our life that you need to break down, God, we pray that you would break those things down. But we pray that we would experience your love and your grace in this place tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Now, this is the promise that we just read that God makes to Ezekiel on behalf of the nation of Israel of what he is going to do for them. Right now, they are in exile. They were at one point living in the land. They were living in relationship with him. They were experiencing the blessing of God, but they broke that relationship. And as a result of their breaking that relationship, they are now far from God. In fact, earlier in the chapter, in verse 16, it breaks down what they've done. It says it like this. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, that was what God called Ezekiel. Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. So I poured out my wrath on them because they had shed blood in the land and because they had defiled it with their idols. The first thought you can jot down tonight is that we mess it up. <laughs> We mess it up. That's basically what's happened for the people in the land of Israel. They've been given a promise. They were uh, centuries before. They were living in Egypt as slaves. God delivered them out of that and brought them into the land of promise. We call that the promised land because it was the land. You know what I'm saying? All right. So they brought into the promised land. Their life is amazing. It's the promised land because in the language of the Bible, it flows with milk and honey. Right? In other words, there's like great coffee and there's great pastries, right? <laughs> Flowing with milk and honey. Like everything that you need, they've got it there. They bring them into this land. Life is great. They're experiencing the blessing. And then they begin to rebel. They begin to do things that God doesn't want them to do. They begin to be influenced by the culture and the world around them. They start looking to other things and to other people and to other places as God rather than the true and living God. And as a result, Babylon comes in conquers them, and they are dispersed all across the world. The people, they defiled the land with what they say, with God says, their conduct and their actions. Their conduct and their actions. Now, that word conduct literally weighs. It's the Hebrew word, ready for this? Derek. Yep, the Hebrew word Derek. 
So if your name's Derek, uh, it means conduct. So there you go. Um, it speaks of this idea. It speaks of the manner in which one lives. The manner in which one lives. It, it, it is direction or the course of action. It, it could be our thoughts or our influences or even our outlook on life. So the conduct, the idea is you've defiled it with your conduct. In, in other words, it's not necessarily their actions, what they actually did, but more how they conducted themselves, their, their behaviors, their mindsets, their, their influences, what they allowed into their life. They, they defiled it by what they allowed into their life, their conduct, their behavior, their mindsets. And we need to understand that we can corrupt what God has designed by what we allow into our mind or what we allow to influence our life. It's important that we recognize that. It's important, like, to get really specific. It's important, like, who you follow on Instagram. Because what happens, especially in the world that we live, all of those things that we do begin to shape our worldview. It shapes our mindset. It even shapes our own identity. Right, Because we're looking at other people, and we're looking at their life, or we're comparing our own life, and we're allowing all of these things to influence and create. What it ultimately creates is a conduct, or an outlook, or a mindset in our life. And he says that, that our conduct defiled, but not only the conduct, it says our actions now, our actions could be uh, literally it's our deeds, and it speaks of the practices and actually doing something, right? Because it's one thing to think about doing something, right? It's another thing to, like, go and do that. It's a big difference, isn't there? And there's some things, let me make this abundantly clear. There are some things that are not sin because you thought about doing them. There are other things that are sin, when you think about them or allow them to affect your thinking and your mindset. So, so there's, there's thoughts, there's behaviors, there's mindsets, but then there's also actions and decisions and, and things that you do. And this could be relationships, it could be your decisions, it could be your habits. All of these things, he says, speaking of the children of Israel, that they defiled their land by their conduct and by their actions. Now, the word that he uses, the result of their conducts and actions, because conducts and actions are not bad things, like we all have ways we conduct ourselves, and we all have actions that we partake in. Like that's being a human being. It's kind of a hard thing to say. That's besides the point. So, so th those things are not bad, but the result of those things matter, right? If your actions hurt me, then it's a bad action, uh, like, if your mindset, if what you think about yourself harms you or it harms other people, it's a bad mindset, right? But there's also mindsets and actions and things that are positive. What he says is that their actions and the way that they conducted themselves, it has led to, the word he uses is defiled. Now, this word carries some weight. Just saying it kind of carries weight, doesn't it? Like, defiled. Like, it just sounds like, so heavy. And it literally means, like the direct translation of the word defile, it just means unclean. And that can mean a, a, a ton of different things. Like when you say something is unclean, there are tons of different ways that something could have got unclean, right? Like when you say like, oh, it's just, it's not clean. 
Well, like it, it doesn't give a specific how it got unclean. But the word defiled, not only does it mean unclean, but it actually carries the specific ways that that thing got unclean. Like the word soiled. You know the word soiled? Like if you came up to me after service and you said you soiled your pants, like I wouldn't think that you spilt hot coffee on your pants. You know what I mean? Like if you're like, dude, I soiled my pants. I'm like, where'd you get the hot coffee from? Like that wouldn't make any sense, right? You're like, what? No, like soiled your pants means like a very specific thing got your pants unclean. You see what I'm saying? The word, the word defiled, it means unclean, but it also carries like specific ways that it got unclean. Like it doesn't just mean like, oh man, it's, it's messed up. No, it means that these certain very specific causes created the defilement. Does that make sense? And so when he says, like, you have, you have defiled, it also speaks of how they got unclean. And it carries three heavy ways that they messed it up or it became defiled. One was by idolatry. That the reason they have defiled the land, the reason that they are messed up is because of idolatry. Idolatry is very simply putting other things above God. That's idolatry. Idolatry is not only like building a little shrine and putting it above your mantle and then like when you walk into the house like bowing down six times and kissing its forehead. Like that is a form of idolatry and if you make that little idol God, it is idolatry. But idolatry does not have to be a little wooden idol. Idolatry could be yourself, right? Like you, you just are absolutely obsessed with yourself. Idolatry. Uh, idolatry could be another person. You are absolutely, like, your world would end if this person broke up with you or, or, or didn't text you back or, or acted a certain, like, it would be the end of your world. Idolatry is, is a mindset. It's what you place. Idolatry is a sport. Idolatry can be a behavior. All of these things can become, I'm not saying they are, but I'm saying they can become idols in our life when we place them above our relationship with God of it's become defiled sexually the, the idea is that their behaviors and their actions with other people have defiled themselves and the land and, and it, it's partaking of of things that God does not desire for you nor designed you Four, it can be inappropriate or explicit behavior with another person. It, it could be looking at pornography. It could be even immoral thoughts and desires. All of these things can make someone, in the language of Ezekiel 36, defiled, right? It, it, it's corrupts. It makes them unclean. And then the third way is not only by idolatry, placing something over God, not only sexually by your behaviors, your misconduct, Im immorality, um, the third way is, is ceremonial, ceremonially. Hannah and I had the conversation. I'm like, what is that word? And she's like, I'm like, ceremonially? She's like, that's not right. She's like, there's an I. Remember the I. And I forgot the I. Ceremonially. Anyways, the, the, the word is wrong behavior as a whole. Just wrong behavior as a whole. It's it, it specifically, it carries some weight specifically to disobeying God. God says one thing, we do another thing. And so what, what the writer is saying, what God is speaking to the people in Israel is you messed it up. 
you had something good going. Like there, there was a good thing here. You were living in the land. There was blessing. There was favor. There was promise. All of these things. We had a good thing going, and you messed it up. How'd you mess it up? Well, you, you messed it up because you placed other things above me. You, you, you behaved immorally with other people. And you have just been disobeying me in everything that I've asked you to do. They messed it up. The people mess it up, and the reality is, is we can do the same where we misbehave, and listen, we feel far from God. The reality for the people of Israel is they mess things up, and so they were, in a sense, but not really, but kind of, if that makes sense. In a sense, but not really, but kind of. You could take that home. Make sure you write that down. Um, that they were far from God. Now, the presence of God was in the temple. This was before you becoming a living temple. This is before the Spirit of God indwelling in your heart and in your life. In their time period, the, the presence of God, where you could be close to God, was in the temple, and that was it. And in fact, only certain people at certain times could even go near the temple, much less inside the temple, right? But that's where the presence of God was. But their behavior, their actions caused the, the Babylonians to come in, conquer them, and disperse them all over the world. Where the presence of God was in the temple in Jerusalem. Now they are literally far from God. Their behavior has caused them to be far from God. And listen, there are times where our behavior, this, the word that I'm about to use is important, makes us feel, that's the important word, makes us feel far from God. Where, where we do things and we, like these guys, mess things up and we now feel far from God. Now, the text didn't end there. In fact, I started with the good part of the text. It's like Sermon 101. Start with the good stuff and then end with the good stuff. <laughs> the second point, you could write this down. We mess it up. God picks us up. Stole that from one of Alex's bars. <laughs> we mess it up, but God picks us up. Now, the point of this chapter and the promise in this chapter is not that they are going to stay far from God. That is not the point of the chapter. The, the whole, it's all, the chapter, if you were to read it, it it's all going like this. It's, it's far apart like this, and it's just, it's moving together. It's getting to a point. Like you ever had in a conversation like that and people are like telling you all of these things and you're like, where is this going? And then all of a sudden it like all comes together and you're like, whoa. Like I thought all that information was completely useless and random and then it all came together and you're like, that was a pretty good story. All right. Thanks, man. But, but it's, it's coming together. It's, it's bringing us to this point. And the point is that they, although they deserve what they got, although they, they might deserve to be where they are, God was not going to leave them there. The promise is that God is going to fix it. And he tells them he's going to do two things. One, he tells them he's going to give them a new heart. Right? That's what we began with. God says, you were far from me, you messed things up, you defiled it, you're broken, you're far from me. But I am going to give you a new heart. The idea is that God wants to heal. We don't have to live in the shame of failure or under the grip of our sin. 
that God wants to heal us. God will give us a new heart. The Bible speaks of becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus. That the old things, our old behaviors, our failures, our misconducts, where we have, where we have defiled, where we have messed up, those things pass away in Jesus. And behold, all things have become new and all things are always becoming new. That there's a reality with God that, that it's not just new for a little while and then it wears off, right? It's not like the, the new iPhone update where it's cool for the month of September and then they're already announcing the next one and you're like, can't I catch a break? No, the reality with God is he is new and he is always ever becoming new. And the reality of relationship with him is that he makes us new and we are always ever becoming new. He doesn't leave us there. He doesn't just do a work in one moment and then you're, it's up to you to figure it out. He says, I am going to give you a new heart. It's a new identity. It's a new reality for your life. God gives us what we need to heal. But also, he says, I'm going to give you a new heart. But he also says, I'm going to give you a new spirit. This idea is not only what we need to heal, but it's also what we need so that we can have help to move forward. Look at uh, the verse again. Go back up to verse uh, 27. He, He says in 26, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. And then he says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my law. The, the idea is he's going he's to put his spirit inside of us. And his spirit inside of us is going to move in us. It's going to impress upon us. It's going to work in us the desire and the, the, the ultimate action to do what God wants us to do. He doesn't just say like, okay, you're clean, but just like don't get dirty again. Like, you, like I, I took you home, and I washed you. Okay, now stay away from mud. Stay away from hot coffee. Right? Like, don't get dirty again. That's not what God does. God heals us, but then he gives us his spirit as what the Bible would call the helper. The, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us to now motivate us and move in us to do what God wants us to do. Listen. God doesn't want us to struggle, so he gives us his spirit to empower us and to help us walk with him. I think we have a misconception of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we think that, that most of us understand like, that salvation comes, like God does all the work, and then we're saved. But a lot of us think that in order for us to feel close to God, it is dependent upon our behavior. Can I tell you right now that you cannot get away from God? That you cannot outrun, you can't escape, you can't overlook, you can't hide from the love of God. In fact, the scripture says that nothing can separate you from the love of God. That even when you fail, and even when you're defiled, and even when you're messed up, and even when you've done things you you, you weren't supposed to do, God's love never runs away from you. In fact, God's love always runs to you. He is always there for you, and he gives us what we need to help. Worship team, you guys can come back up here. I'm done. But I want to close with with one final thought about this text. 
The amazing thing about this scripture is that when you read it in its entirety, there is never a condition. What I mean by that, like, you, you know fine print? You guys ever heard of fine print? That's like when, like, it's like when you, we'll use the iPhone example since I brought it up already. Like when you get a new iPhone and then right away all of these things come up and you just hit agree, 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 agree. And you're like, there's no way I'm spending the rest of my life reading the iTunes terms of agreement. It's not happening. But basically, like, in that fine print somewhere, it says, like, we pretty much have access to not only your words, but also your thoughts. <laughs> like, that's why, that's why you could, like, never even say, like, you're thinking about Doritos, and then you go on Instagram, you got an ad for Doritos, and you're like, the devil himself is inside. <laughs> and it, it's, what, what, there's, like, fine print. It's just like, yeah, we, like, don't worry about it. It's just yada, 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 a bunch of words, 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 words. We have access to all you are and everything you do, and that's just it. Fine print. It's conditions. It's you do this and we'll do that. In this chapter, there's no conditions. What I mean by that, the chapter does not say, and you can read it at home if you'd like. The chapter does not say, you defiled it, you messed it up, and if you do this, then I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. The chapter never says that. What it says is, you did this, you messed it up. But God... Because of who God is and because of his great love for us, not based upon our actions or our behaviors or, or, or saying sorry 500 times, none of that. Because of who God is, God just bursts on the scene and he says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit inside of you. It's all God doing the work. Let me remind somebody tonight that God's got your back and he's not going to leave you. And... Let me take it a step further. God is not waiting for you to get your act together so that you can be more lovable. He's not sitting around like, if you would just stop doing this, then I would love you. No, God's saying, I love you in the middle of it. I love you right now. I love you right now as you go home and you go on that website again. I love you right now. I love you right now as you send that text message that you know you shouldn't send. I love you right now. I love you at this party on Friday night when you know you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. I'm loving you in that moment. When we have done everything to mess it up, God says, I still love you. And I will over and over and over and over again display to you and show you how much I love you. Can I tell you that the, these verses that we just read, they are the gospel. This is the message of Jesus. Here's reality. We messed it up. Our sin, our brokenness, our, our, our doing, we messed it up. And what does God do? He sends his one and only son. He, he didn't wait for us. He wasn't sitting up there for a couple thousand years just going, man, if only they would be good enough, then I have the best plan for redemption. No. God just says, I'm going to send my one and only son that anybody, wherever they are, if they would just believe in me, I can restore them. I can change them. I want to give them a new heart. I want to heal them. And I want to give them a new spirit. I want to help them walk in the life that he has. This week, um, I was getting ready to leave the house, and I was in the bathroom, and I was putting on a shirt, and I'm kind of like, our bathroom's like kind of narrow, and I'm kind of big and oafy, and sometimes I forget like how big and oafy I am. It's like big floppy arms, and I'm like putting on a shirt like an idiot, and uh, <laughs> I knocked a like little 
vase thing off of a shelf in our bathroom, and it shatters. And Hannah, like, comes running in. She's like, what was that? And I'm like, oh, I just knocked over a stupid vase. And she was like, oh. I'm like, it's just a, a little vase. And she's like, we got that in Israel when we went, like, right after we got married. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I used an accident. I'm just, like, so awkward. And sometimes I don't know what to do. <laughs> and, and I was like, like, we can keep it, though, right? And she's like, no, it's broken. And she, like, picked it up and she threw it away. And I was like, oh, man, I'm such an idiot. Like, I'll fly back to Israel and get us a new one right now. Like, it's cool. And she's like, no, it's, like, don't worry. She wasn't mad or anything. She was just like, just, like, be careful. Like, you know how tall you are. You know your arms. Like, be careful, man. But it was broken and it was just, like, it was done. Like, it, like, it served its purpose. It lived in our house for a couple years. It was nice. And then, like, now it's done. I think sometimes we view God like that. We're like, God, like, man, you, you had a good run. You walked with God for a couple years, but that last thing that you did, it's kind of like it's over now for you. Like it's, it's broken, broken. Like there's no use of like scooping it back up and putting it back on the counter because it's broken, broken. No, no. Every time we fall off the counter and every time we shatter into a million zillion pieces and we think it's over, God's like, nope, it's fine. I can fix it. No, it's fine, back on the shelf. No, it's fine, cracks, bruises. It looks like it's been damaged. It looks like it's fallen off the shelf a few times, but I still love you and I still have a plan for you and it doesn't change. And so you go right back on the shelf where you belong. You don't get put in the back. You don't, get, you don't hide behind the nicer looking vases that like these ones haven't fallen off the shelf. And so you go back there because you have. No, no, you go right back where you were. God still has a plan for you. God still has a purpose for you. God still loves you. God's not gonna change his mind about you. You go back on the shelf and you get to live the life that God has for you. Is anybody thankful tonight that God loves us no matter what?